This is FemPower Health. Each week, top women's health experts dispel fact from fiction. The most important pelvic floor exercise is not the Kegel. Challenge the status quo. It's never easy to challenge the accepted leaders, and especially if you're a woman. Provide perspective on why your healthcare journey may be so tough. All of that fear and worry, it all upregulates our nervous system, puts us into fight or flight mode, and increases our pain sensitivity. And what you can do about it. The number one thing is you have to advocate for yourself, and you have to be prepared. Your journey to get empowered starts now. In today's episode, I interview Sylvia Kang, who has a background in biomedical engineering and is co-founder and CEO of Mira, a women's health monitoring platform. And as a fun fact, she's also an accomplished pianist. In our discussion, she explains the role of female hormones and the impact when they aren't in sync, along with insights about reproductive health tracking tools. With over 100 of these tools on the market, it is tough to determine which one is right for you or even why to use them. We thought her biomedical engineering background was perfectly suited to explain the science behind these apps to inform your decision making. Please welcome Sylvia Kang. So I'd like to start before we get into all the discussion about women's hormones and tracking them and allowing those hormones to provide appropriate information about our body. I thought maybe we could start with your background and how you became interested in women's health. Yeah, that sounds good. So um, I'm Sylvia Ken. I'm I'm the co-founder and the CEO of Mira. So if you're not familiar with Mira, basically um, we're trying to do is the we're trying to. Uh, to use the really small home testing device to track your actual fertility hormone concentration. So we track multiple hormones such as LH, estrogen. Uh, in the future, we're going to track HCG and FSH. So basically, uh, you can if you're trying to conceive or trying to avoid pregnancy, now you can see your actual hormone number just like how it is done in the lab right now at home. So my personal background is the uh, I have a master in biomedical engineering from Columbia University and also MBA from Cornell University. And uh, I have so many friends just like my profile. And, uh, you know, they're women and they have the advanced career, uh, career and education. And they just tend to delay their maternal age again and again. I, I kind of feel like that's a trend right now. Um, but during this process, there was little education. So uh, we kind of don't really know about our fertility, about our body, or you know how the cycle works or so on. Um, after high school health class, so you don't really touch that. And then uh, finally at a point, and they start to think about having a child, and they found um, it's really hard. I had a friend, you know, she's like, um, you know, have been trying for more than six six months, and there just no results. And uh, it was the she went to saw the doctor, but you know, it really you know doesn't really find anything wrong. So, and eventually they have to end up in the IVF, and which is the uh, really painful process, and it takes really long. So I I you know I look at the situation, and I feel like there's definitely a gap over there. So if assuming today, right, if we can have a tool or have certain things to help us to 
um, know our body better, or just like a tool can bring more awareness, can bring more, can be more mindful to your body to know really what's going on. So you can make all these important life decisions, such as when to have a child in a, you know, in a much more educated way. And also you can make it happen before it's too late. And when you start to try to make that happen, and you will have much more control. You will have expectation about, okay, maybe it's going to take three months. It's going to take six months. And this might be something, you know, that's going on in the process. I need to pay attention to, I need to improve this and that. So there's right now, there's definitely gap over here. So that's why I feel like, you know, with my biomedical engineering background, and also um, I have few partners working with me, there is an opportunity you know, we can really do something for women's health. So it's, this is really trying to you know, bring more science uh, and also together with a convenience into the woman's life. Now, as we uh, have spoken many times, there's over 100 reproductive health tracking apps out there. And by the way, I've been trying to uh, transition from fertility tracking apps to reproductive health tracking apps. And I think it'll become a lot clearer throughout this podcast on why looking at it as a fertility tracking app is too narrow of a viewpoint. But there are a lot of apps out there and, you know, a lot of them tend to track just the ovulation window or not the ovulation, the fertility or the fertile window. And I thought what might be helpful is to really broaden this out and educate women on the intricacies of how the body works. Now, I'd like to start with the baseline of you know the monthly cycle, which I know a lot of people have the myth that it's a 28-day cycle. And really, it's not. Um, I'm sure you can educate us on what you tend to see with the research that you've done. But maybe you can talk about that cycle and what hormones are present and what role they play throughout that cycle? So uh, the 28-day cycle is definitely a myth more than a truth. So 28 days is the average. So this concept actually came from uh, Isaac like 20 years ago or something. So when we didn't really have enough stats or enough tools to track how the cycle range really is. And we say, okay, 28 days is the average. However, every woman's different and every cycle is different. So this is actually a really important concept. Many women will think, oh, I have regular cycle. So I'm just 28 days usually, which is not true. You can have really regular cycle, but you can have an outlier cycle just this month or next month. And your cycle can come back to 28 days or something like that. And another important thing is that a cycle lens is just like a quarter of the iceberg to look into your fertility house or look into what's happening in your body. So maybe I can, you know, go over the, uh, you know, how the cycle really works. You know, what does the what does the cycle mean? Why do we bleed and why do we have ovulation? So you will understand how the things work together. So um, usually at the beginning of a cycle, which means the, uh, you know, right after your period, right? And there is the hormone called the follicular stimulation hormone, um, or we usually call it FSH. So this hormone is released by your brain and specifically uh, from the hypothalamus and which stimulates the uh, pituitary glands. And this will release the FSH. So what the FSH will do is to stimulate the growth of your 
follicles in your ovary. Okay, so every month you have multiple, actually many, many follicles in your ovary, and they are kind of like you know preparing to be mature, but not, not necessarily every follicle will become mature. So when FSH rises and it will stimulate the growth of those follicles, and when the follicle growth reaches certain points, your body will release estrogen. So the estrogen is a really important hormone because it not only indicates your fertile window or infertile window, but it also tells you a lot of pathological condition and which I can leverage a little bit later. But you probably already noticed that your OBGYN will look at your um, estrogen to diagnose a lot of things, even things like, are you close to menopause? Um, do you have a, you know, what is the outcome of the fertility treatment, things like that. So this estrogen will start to rise and as a second hormone in your cycle. And then at least estrogen will trigger the release of another hormone, which is a luteinizing hormone, or, or we call it LH. This is probably the most familiar hormone to you because all the OPK, ovulation prediction kits, they measure this hormone. And what the LH will do is to allow the uh, egg coming out from the follicle. So this process is called the ovulation. And this happened in a really precise timeline. Um, although every woman will be different, every cycle will be different again. But usually uh, the LH surge happens about 12 to, to 12 to 24 hours before the ovulation happens. So a lot of OPK use this hormone to indicate, uh, you know, when the ovulation is about to happen, so you can try trying to, you know, have a baby. And then uh, after that, after the uh, egg is released, uh, the fourth important hormone, which is progesterone, where we sometimes call it uh, PDG, and this hormone will rise. So this hormone, uh, basically will prepare the uterus for the pregnancy. So it will thicken the uterus lining because the fertilized egg will need to attach to something to develop. So just think about this thing as the, um, the progesterone um, is really the function of that is really to create a nice environment or a very um, welcoming environment for the egg to grow. So then that's progesterone. However, if your egg is not fertilized, so there's no egg attached to the uterus wall. And then after a few days, the progesterone will start to drop. And then uh, during this process, this second uterus lining will shed. So shed means the tissue will go out from your body. And from what you can see, that will become the bleeding. So that's the starting point of your next cycle. And that's what you see as a period. So, you know, this sounds like a complicated process, um, however, I think there's something, you know, as a consumer, as a woman, I think we should understand is that you can say that the cycle is composed of a lot of things. So think about your body is working like a symphony. Okay. So every hormone here, you can think about as the, uh, a musical instrument. So they have to work together and they have to work, um, like with certain reason between them. So it's really happening in a really beautiful, natural way. So that's why there's a pattern. You always hear people saying, oh, there's a pattern. There's a hormone imbalance or hormone balance. So we have to reach certain balance for things to happen. So that's also why if you're, for example, you have a really serious 
strategic goal, right? So let's say I'm really trying to conceive. I need to be conceived within three months. I'm about 35 years old, or I had a miscarriage before, or I my husband is traveling, I have limited time. You know, you have these conditions behind you, and you have a serious fertility goal trying to get conceived. You want to know more than just the period. The period is one piece of this whole machine. And at the same time, um, you can see the cycle is a cascade. So to really understand how your body works, to help you to achieve your fertility goal, you want to understand more than that. You want to understand broader and you want to understand their relationship among each other. So we've broken down what the main hormones are. And I think it's clear that like a musical um, like a musical instrument or orchestra, they have to be able to play together to make the beautiful music of the woman's body. I like that analogy. Now let's talk about the impact if their interconnection is imbalanced. And I don't know if it's best to give an example like what happens if you have PCOS or something like that, but maybe you could give a concrete example of the impact of these hormones not being in sync. I think the most common one might be PCOS because that's affecting 10% of the global woman population right now. So obviously there are many causes and many symptoms of PCOS, but one uh, important matrix the doctor actually uses to diagnose if you have PCOS or not is the ratio between LH and FSH. And more importantly, on the LH side, because many women, not all, but many women who have PCOS will have elevated LH level. So what does that mean? So LH, think about your cycle, right? So LH is not a straight line. LH has a peak. As we talked earlier, the uh, function of LH surge or LH increase is to release the egg out from the follicle. So you can have an egg over there so you can get pregnant, the egg can be fertilized. So that's a function. And that means when you have a peak, you should have a baseline. Otherwise, you know, how do you define a peak, right? And so for regular or healthy woman, uh, the baseline is really low. Usually, I would say usually it's below 10 or below five, um, depends on personal variability. But if you have PCOS, some people can have as high as 40 uh, as their baseline. And obviously, some people are lower, 20 or something. But um, So that means your LH divided by FSH, this, this ratio become uh, bigger if you have PCOS. And uh, again, we need to think everything as a whole thing, as a cascade. So when your LH is higher, and that will impact some other hormone level as well. So that's why for PCOS, you see some other things happening, like some people gain weight, and some people will um, have a facial hair growth and have acne, have oily skin, and uh, sometimes the, the, probably the most severe things like they don't ovulate uh, because the, uh, when your hormone is not really in balance or it's not one hormone not in place, many hormones not in places, and the ovulation process just cannot be triggered because as we talked earlier that you can see the whole cycle, which is pretty much managed by ovulation, this thing, and it's controlled, purely controlled by your hormone, right? So if your hormones are not in place and ovulation may not happen. So, and that's also why uh, a lot of women who have PCOS and they try to use OPK to say, okay, I want to detect my ovulation to get pregnant, but it doesn't work. That's because OPK started to fix the threshold and uh, 
above this level of hormone, LH hormone, and it will say you're ovulating, and below that say you're not ovulating. However, if you have PCOS, your baseline is high, right? So you might be above zero threshold all the time, and you will say positive all the time. And with the uh, the OPK, you won't be able to it won't be able to tell you how fertile you are or how high this hormone level is. It can only tell you okay based on uh, the the OPK manufacturer standard, you are above this threshold and that you probably is higher than population average right now. So, you know, that doesn't apply to everyone. So that's the, uh, um, I think that's a one very commonly seen example of the hormone ratio. And, and another thing, I think very interesting to look at the between hormone is the estrogen and the LH. So uh, you probably heard about this, uh, but the, uh, you know, LH is really to understand or detect your peak fertility days. So usually those are two days. That's because LH surge triggers the ovulation happen, right? So that means the, uh, you know, once you LH increase and within probably probably 24 hours, the egg is released. So you have the, you know, you have a fresh egg over there. If you have sex at that time, you have high chance to get pregnant. The, the thing is the, you know, the trick here is that really you just have to, that the egg meet the sperm, so the uh, the um, fertilization could happen. But estrogen is quite important too because estrogen uh, rise uh, kind of uh, is kind of overlapping with the your fertile window. So what does it mean? So that means estrogen rises about four days or five days before your ovulation from happening, and so. At that time, you're already fertile. So people might ask, like, how can that be? I don't even have an egg over. So how can that be fertile? But the key here is that the sperm, if you have good quality of the sperm and you have a good quality of the mucus, and the sperm can live inside the mucus, which is inside the woman's body, up to four days. So that means you still have a chance at the early stage or even before four days before your ovulation. But that's assuming you have really, you know, good quality of the sperm, good quality of the mucus. And uh, so that means your whole fertile window is about four days before ovulation until the day of ovulation itself. And uh, luckily, your estrogen surge and out surge are almost overlapping with this time. So that's why detecting these two hormones at home will help you to understand your full fertile window. And obviously you can do the reverse to understand your full infertile window. So that will help you to avoid the pregnancy as well. So, and then you might ask that, you know, so uh, what if after ovulation, right? So we said that after our search, uh, the ovulation, ovulation happened about within 24 hours. So how about after 24 hours? So there is the uh, paper published on the New England Journal of Medicine actually says after 24 hours of ovulation, your chance to get pregnant is zero. So this might be surprising to someone, but that's the truth. So the egg has really short lifespan once it's being released from the follicle. Okay. So if you're trying, that means if you're trying to conceive, you really should look for the number one important thing is look for the uh, the ovulation day itself, which is managed by the LH. And the number two important thing is look for the estrogen, which is a few days before ovulation. So you really need to know your ovulation before it happens. So you want to, you know, kind of say the relationship between those two hormones in order to capture your full, for, full fertile window, but not wait for it to happen and say, okay, my ovulation already happened. So then let's, let me do something. That's usually too late. 
Got it. Thank you for that clarification around how these hormones, if they're not in sync, what the impact may be for a woman. Now, um, so you mentioned OPKs, which back when I was going through my fertility struggles, I used. And I remember later on, I would get, uh, and my body was pretty regular, I would get the strangest um, flashy smiley face. I would get um, the smiley face that wouldn't flash. Then I would get the flash, but not the solid. I mean, it was just such a mess. And I remember thinking, what, I wish I could have more data-driven information because something is just not going on right with my body, but according to the basic things I can test, it's just not enough. Now, clearly tracking basal body temperature and your cervical fluid and um, the position of your cervix are really, really helpful, but those charts can be difficult to interpret if you're not an expert. So I know that there's, um, as I mentioned at the beginning of our discussion that there's over a hundred apps out there. Now it may seem overwhelming, but honestly, what I would say is I welcome the fact that there are so many because it's now forcing women to have conversations about what's going on in their body. And I know right now it's so much about fertility, but I think we can all agree it impacts everything, um, diseases it uh, or conditions like PCOS, as you mentioned, but also perimenopause and menopause and really understanding these hormones helps a lot. So since there are a lot of apps and you do have the biomedical background, I thought it would help now that we understand the basics of how the woman's body works to start getting into understanding how these different apps and devices measure. So maybe, because I know there's the ones where you just enter the data and you either have like a thermometer that is tied to it, or you just have to use your own thermometer and enter the data. I'd much rather get into, because I I think we can speak about the obvious um, concerns there. I think what would be interesting is to talk about, or if you do want to address concerns there, feel free. But, you know, there's ones where you could wear it on your wrist. There's um, one that I learned about that you can put in your underarm. And then there are ones where you pee on a stick and you can insert it into a device to test the levels of your hormones. And then there's ones that you put into your vagina. And again, with your biomedical background, I thought it might be helpful to, you know, help us understand where the benefits and potential concerns would be for the various ways that one's hormones, body temperature, et cetera, can be measured to better inform one's body. Maybe you can break down by different product types. So I think uh, first I agree with you that uh, from a you know from my perspective, I think it's a good thing that there are so many products on the market because this definitely means that we are bringing more awareness to this area and which we really need some awareness to. Um, and also, there are many people are doing, you know, trying to do different innovations and trying to track different things and the constantly trying to make it more accurate and more convenient. I think those two things are the most important thing in terms of home fertility tracking for women. You want to really find the balance point to be as accurate as possible, but as convenient as possible. So I think that's a good thing. And then let's look at the different product types. So the most familiar product type to the consumers might be the app. 
FemPower Health is pleased to partner with the upcoming FemTech and Consumer Innovation Summit. The summit is the latest deep dive event, part of the Women's Health Innovation Series, looking to tackle this growing sector of women's health, having had continental success in driving innovation, investment, research, and partnerships in traditional women's health care by bringing together critical stakeholders. Join us in New York on June 7th and 8th as we channel this success into the consumer sector of women's health. Visit www.femtechconsumerinnovation.com to view the superstar speaker lineup and enter code FEMPOWER15 for 15% off your ticket. Hope to see you there. So what the app does is to track your period. So you simply enter your uh, when the period happened and your average cycle length, which you believe, you know, whatever that is. I personally found that's not being very accurate. You believe you have 28 days, but sometimes you don't. So you, you enter into there and it will calculate based on population average. So I think this thing is good if you're just tracking your cycle. For example, I'm a teenager or I just try to understand if my period is regular uh, or I suddenly got an irregular period, I should be going to see a doctor or something like that. So I think that's good to that level. So it's not going to give you too much detail. And why is that? Because we, you know, from what we talked earlier for how a cycle happens, right? So you think about the cycle as the, it's a process, it's a cascade. So now you're only detecting your period. So period is a beginning, is an end. So that's like a black box. You have an input, you have an output, you don't know what's happening between. And you assume what's happening between is the same as the population average. We know it's not true. However, because you don't have the detection mechanism to do that, so you assume that's true. So that's how the most most app works, right? So it will it's good for it's good for cycle tracking. However, if you want to get a really accurate cycle tracking, say I, you know, I really want to um you know, got a very precise prediction for my when my next period will be. Uh, there is a scientific study, if I remember, I remember that correctly, they said you need to track it continuously for more than 12 months in order to get a relatively more accurate answer. So, however, I think the app is good, you know, it depends on what goal you have. If you just want to, you know, track the cycle um, just more casually, I think it's a very convenient tool for you to do that. And then uh, the next category, is the thermometer. So there are different types of thermometers, as you mentioned. Um, so the thermometer, I personally think is quite convenient because you don't have to pee on the stick. But the problem with that is that the biggest problem is that your temperature rises after ovulation. So we talked earlier about this too. You, If you're seriously trying to conceive, you need to capture your fertile window, which is few days before ovulation until the day of ovulation itself. However, temperature rises 12 hours after ovulation. So this leaves you probably 15% or 10% of the fertile window to be detectable, right? So if you solely rely on that, there might be some problem. And at the same time, temperature, if you decide to measure temperature, which is a good thing, it will bring more awareness to your body. You will, it will start to basically start to train you to be paying attention to your body. You want to measure something that's least being affected by the environmental factors. So what does that mean? So you want to measure core temperature, such as oral temperature, vagina temperature, those are good. If, if that's the skin temperature or surface, skin surface, anywhere skin surface, 
that's not really good because skin surface temperature is affected by the environmental factors so much. Um, and if you, you know, the weather got hot and if you, uh, you know, have a fever, you have some, uh, uh, you know, turn on air conditioner at night, all these things could affect your uh, skin temperature. And the temperature rise you're looking for, for ovulation is very, very subtle. It's usually 0.5 Fahrenheit. So you know how subtle that is. That means you, if you have something affecting that, you probably not be able to see that. So that's another thing. And the third thing is that you got to make sure you're using that correctly. So basal, basal body temperature means you have to test the temperature at rest. So what does at rest mean? So at rest means you need to not moving for at least four hours right before testing the temperature. Okay. So if you decide to test the temperature as the first thing, as the first thing in the morning, you shouldn't go to a bathroom at night. You shouldn't wake up to feed the small children at night. So you basically don't move. And then uh, when you wake up, make sure you, the first thing is to test that. Don't go out, you know, go to the bathroom or don't walk around. Don't even, you know, do too much movement before you do that testing. So that will help to eliminate some environmental factors as well. So, so that's about thermometer. And the uh, biggest category, category of the products is probably the OPK. So um, OPK, most OPK only detect one hormone, which is LH hormone, which is the, you know, the detecting LH hormone, I think it's a good thing uh, because the, uh, as I explained before, hormone controls almost everything in your cycle, right? So if you can think about hormone as a root cause, as the, as the reason for why a cycle happens and all the other stuff like uh, temperature, mucus, whatsoever, those are the consequences. So because hormone happens and your body responded to the hormone, so there is a temperature change, so there's ovulation, so there's a mucus change, so there's cervical position change, things like that. So hormone is the most uh, fundamental thing, so that's good to detect that. However, for outreach hormone, so as I said, OPK has a drawback, which is the, uh, uh, you know, it's at this fixed threshold. That's the biggest problem. So that's why sometimes you got confusing results. You don't see your, you don't really see your pattern. You say, okay, sometimes it's positive, sometimes negative, but it's it's really hard to see what's really going on. And uh, every cycle is different. Every woman is different. So you know when the when you're above certain threshold based on population average doesn't necessarily mean it's ovulation to you. That means it might be ovulation based on the population average. So that's where a lot of confusions come from. Come from, but at the same time, I think detecting hormone is a is a really good thing. It's a good move. So actually, based on that, that's why you know you know we as a mirror team we're trying to help is that we're trying to bring you the numeric hormone concentration. So the actual hormone number so you can see your hormone curve because when you even you go to see a doctor the most important thing to look at for the hormone is the pattern so you want to say you do have a surge and you want to say your baseline is low but all these are relatively speaking right you have to compare surge means compared to baseline it's a surge baseline means compared to surge is a baseline so this is the most important thing not the absolute number so that's why at, as you know at mira we're trying to Get you, get you the numeric number so you can plot out your pattern. You can see really what's going on. And then uh, other than that, there is uh, another fourth category of the products on the market. Uh, it's a combination of many different things. You see there's the electrolytes testing of the vagina. 
and you see there is the crystallization of Sadawa, uh, you know, viewing under a microscope or something like that. So all these are good, but these are more like a, a consequence after the ovulation, right? After the, sorry, not after ovulation, more after the estrogen surge. So estrogen hormone increase, and that caused the crystallization of the sativa, caused the uh, electrolyte change in your vagina or whatsoever. So um, those might take a little bit time for you to learn how to view that. For example, sativa can be easily affected by what food you're eating, if you're healthy or not, if you drink water. Again, you know, as I said before, you want the as a good product, you need the uh, combination of accuracy and convenience, right? Sometimes it's very convenient, but it will be easily affected by some lifestyle factors. So it may not be that accurate, but you can try that as a good thing that it will bring you awareness or train you to pay more attention to your body. So, which is good. But I uh, personally, I might, for myself, I found I wouldn't solely rely on, you know, those tools to give me the ovulation window. And in addition to those, you know, four categories of products we talked about, there's another whole bunch of people, you know, they're trying to observe ovulation naturally. I think this is quite good. So uh, you're looking at your mucus change, you're looking at your cervical position change, you're even looking at how rigid or how soft the of the cervical is, you can feel that by your finger. So this definitely, you know, makes you pay attention to your body. I think that's great because I think a big move that has to happen in order to help women to get conceived or understand better about fertility is that we really need to pay more attention to your body and we need to know what we're looking at and how we need, how we should understand those things. So that's a good thing, um, but it may take a little bit time for you to learn because everyone's different. I try myself on the mucus observation. Uh, took me a few months to understand really what I'm looking at. And uh, sometimes you will find your mucus, you know, uh, the mucus change happens right before ovulation. Sometimes for some other woman might be a few days before ovulation. You just have, have to find your own pattern. So really, you know, from my personal experience, my suggestion is that if you do have a serious goal behind your fertility, for example, you're trying to conceive, you need to treat certain disease, you need to avoid pregnancy, you will need a tool more than an app um, because you don't want to just solely rely on that black box, right? So you want to find a tool. And at the same time, you really should look into your body, pay more attention to those biomarkers, every single biomarker, those subtle changes of those few things. And with a tool and this natural sign, after a few cycles, you should have a much better understanding about how your cycle works. I agree with you about one of the themes that you've mentioned as you've shared this latest information is around tracking over time. I know that in monitoring a lot of the women who are posting screenshots of their results, you know, some panic when they don't know what's going on with their body right away, but it's their first month using the app or the device. And um, it does tend to be basal body temperature based. And as you said, your basal body temperature changes after the ovulation to be able to notify you that you ovulated, but it takes, you know, a few months for devices to really understand that. One question I did uh, want to touch on before we get into the algorithms is around these apps that are using peeing on the stick method. And I know when these sorts of things came out um, a few years ago, 
there was discussion from doctors about how they're not as accurate as a blood draw. So uh, I know that we had discussed that, you know, there's a place for all of these bits of information to help put the puzzle together for what's going on with a woman's body. So can you tell us a little bit about the value of having something that you can test at home versus the blood draw at a doctor's office? Because let's face it, we're not going to go to Quest Lab or LabCorp or our doctor's office every single day to get tested. So tell us about, you know, how these pee on the stick methods tend to prove value relative to the blood work. Let's break this down into two parts. So the first part is, are we really measuring the correct sample, right? So let's fix this one. So you're measuring urine and we don't want to do blood work at home every day. We don't want to pinch our finger every day. It's really painful. And at the lab, your doctor is doing the blood work. So is there a difference? So the answer is yes, there is a difference. However, the difference is not significant enough. So what does that mean? So that means the uh, physiologically, so you're testing, why can we test in urine and also testing blood? That's because for most of these fertility hormones, there is the metabolized product in the urine. So which means your hormone in usually you know, exists in the blood, but it will metabolize, it will get into urine. So you can test that concentration. So most of these products on the market for urine tests, including Mira, is testing the metabolized product in the urine of the hormone. But there are a lot of papers already published about the correlation between blood tests and also urine tests on fertility hormones. And for the hormones mirrors testing, and uh, um, it's usually about 80% to 85% of the correlation. So that means that's quite significant. You know, so the, you know, also the accuracy, you know, we need to understand the accuracy is really depend on what our goal is, right? If we're really trying to understand precisely your hormone is two or three at this moment, and this urine test may not be accurate, but if you're trying to understand, okay, now you have the pattern, you have the trend, as we talked before. Now this is a search. This is a search compared to baseline. You know, you see the change of the trend, and you see now this whole thing start to increase. You're basically looking at the pattern, and that's significant enough to detect ovulation, detect the fertile window, and even detect, you know, for PDG, uh, detect the, if the user is nighting, it's getting sicker, something like that. Yes, so that basically the answer is yes. From a scientific perspective, you, you could test the urine to get the uh, accurate enough results to understand ovulation and how your cycle works. Okay, so that's one thing. And on the other side, let's talk about the OPK. So does the OPK really is testing the metabolized, metabolized the hormone product in urine accurately enough? My per- personally, I don't think the answer is yes. And the doctor will not endorse OPK usually. So the doctor usually only endorses two things. One is the blood work and another one is ultrasound. So they use two methods to understand when ovulation is about to happen. So why the doctors doesn't really endorse OPK? The biggest reason is because OPK is the binary product. Okay, so let's let's assume your hormone range from a zero to one hundred. So now you're at the baseline and you're climbing up this mountain. And when you got to ovulation, maybe you got really high. I don't know. Everyone's different. Maybe like you got 50, 60 or something. And then your your hormone will come down. So you can think about a bow shape curve. Okay, but OPK won't be able to tell you this. OPK probably gonna draw a line. Usually it's about 10. 
and they say, okay, now you're above 10 or below 10. That's the only thing they're telling, okay? So let's say you're now 20 and you see positive. You're now 40, you see positive. And you're now uh, 90, you still see positive. It's the same thing. And for the negative results, the same thing too. You're nine, which means you maybe you're about, about to ovulate or if your hormone level is low, this already might be ovulation to you, but it's negative. It doesn't show anything uh, because you're below their threshold, which let's assume is 10. So that's why the doctor really endorsed that. So number one, it doesn't give you accurate enough information. So you can think about this one, I see maybe the resolution of the picture, right? So when our eyes look at the picture, it's very colorful, you see all the detail, but when you translate this, this picture, you know, our eyes, the way our eyes look, look at the picture, you can think of that as a blood work or the numeric hormone test. But when this picture translates to a uh, OPK and it's a grayed out thing, so you only say black and white. You don't even say gray. <laughs> Sorry, not grayed out. It's really black and white, only two colors. So you lost all the precision, all the resolution within this picture. So that's one reason. And the second reason is that for OPK to work, it has to has have the threshold to determine ovulation or not. But this and this threshold has to be a fixed number, right? Think about OPK as a chemical assay. There's no way this chemical assay, assay can be dynamic, can be flexible, adjustable to every single person's situation. So it used the population average, but we know it doesn't apply to everyone. So that's why the doctor really, you know, doesn't really endorse that. So, you know, coming back to what we talked earlier, it's really OPK a good option. I think OPK is a good option for you to get certain understanding into your cycle. But if you, the most scientific or correct way to look at that is really you should look at the numerical hormone number. And why you should look at numerical hormone number? Because you should look at the pattern. You really should look at the pattern. Everything, remember, everything is relative. You, all the medical meaning behind your hormone numbers are relative. Your surge is, has a meaning because it's compared to baseline. Baseline has a meaning because compared to a surge. And even, like I say, this cycle might be irregular. And what does it mean? Because that's compared to last cycle. Everything is relative. So that's why for, you know, in Mira, we try to bring this numeric hormone test to home. So basically to bridge the accuracy and the convenience together. And if you go to doctor's lab, they do the same thing. They do the, uh, you know, they do the blood test that will give you, you see all the, your, your hormone panel will come out as a number. You rarely say, okay, LH is positive, it's estrogen positive, negative. You don't say that. However, if you go to lab, as you said before, you may not be able to test continuously. You're more like a thin slice for what's happening at that moment. Okay, but you're not able to see the whole thing. And uh, more realistically, we're just not able to go to lab every day. Yep, no, that makes sense. Now, I feel it my duty based on what you shared, and I assume it's a parallel, but just in case there's a nuance, and I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I, I do want to at least paint um, somewhat of a picture here for women. I see this parallel with pregnancy tests. I can't tell you how many times I see someone post their pregnancy test and it's, do you see a line? I think I see a line. Do you see a line? So tell us about what those very, very, very faint pink lines versus the very, very, very bright pink lines. And if you were advising these women posting on Facebook, their very faint pink line, 
how does all that work? Is it is this similar to what you're talking about with the OPK? Is there some nuance that we should address here just to help answer that question that I can't help but ask? We got to separate this question between ovulation test or pregnancy test because this fit line have a different causes behind. So if that's an ovulation test, if you see a really, really fit line, I would say usually it's not a ovulation. But you got to follow this structure from the manufacturer of the OPK. But usually I see OPK will say your line needs to be dark enough or the same darkness, at least the same darkness as a control line in order to say this is ovulation. So again, the OPK is a chemical assay and that's not a, uh, you know, it's a consumer product. So it's not the most, uh, the, the, basically the, um, the chemical assay, the type of chemical assay is not a most accurate one, okay? It's totally different technology than what's used in the lab or even we're using in Mira. Uh, so sometimes there's fluctuation. Okay, so you, even you don't have hormone in your urine and it could show a little bit pink color on the uh, on the test strip i think the best suggestion is like you might follow the uh, manufacturer's instruction to say how dark is dark enough but i personally i you know for the brands i have used i see usually it's not a uh, ovulation so however if this comes to pregnancy there might be a little bit difference so pregnancy is a very complicated process there is a situation that there could be a really really early pregnancy but they got lost so that's a possibility. I'm not saying every woman gonna have it, but the psych, you know, physiologically that's possible. And that, actually that happens a lot. So that usually happens like, you know, you do have a fertilized egg and uh, however, the egg doesn't really develop or got lost in the really early stage, usually within uh, 14 days or something of the pregnancy. So when the egg is fertilized and attached to the uterus wall and your uh, body will start to release the hormone called HCG. So pregnancy test to test the HCG, right? So it will start to say, okay, so a little bit of darkness over there. And then after a few days, why it disappeared? Because that fertilized egg got lost. And why it got lost, there are many different reasons. But the majority reason of this, because it's in biochemical pregnancy. So the, uh, uh, the most majority, majority reason for the bio, biochemical pregnancy or miscarriage is because something wrong with the, the, is a genetic issue. Um, especially when you're getting older, you're um, above a certain age, and the, uh, more and more of your egg become uh, genetically mutated. So even these eggs are you know, fertilized today, and your body will find out to say, okay, this is not a good pregnancy, so I don't want it. I want this to go out from my body. So, and because that's really early stage, you probably don't feel anything. But the only thing you can tell is that, okay, there is a, a little bit dark line, and after a few days, it disappeared. So that could be that case. Not necessarily saying everyone will face that case, but the biochemical pregnancy happen a lot right now. So, you know, it's... I think what would also be helpful is to better understand these algorithms. So every single device and app has been really sharing how they have an algorithm that is the most effective algorithm to predicting what's happening with a woman's body. And again, given your background, and I think you mentioned that there's a difference between prediction and measurement, it would be helpful to better understand these algorithms. And, and I'll be honest, I think what I struggle with to give the listeners perspective is you've outlined beautifully in the beginning how a woman's body works and there's clear scientific information showing 
things like once you ovulate, you have a 24-hour window. Before ovulation, you have a certain window. A lot of that is impacted by your cervical mucus because if it's not of good quality, the sperm won't get to the egg anyways. So it's really complicated. And you know the, the algorithms are only as good as the, in, the data that the woman enters uh, into the device app, whatever it is. And I'm trying to really solve for in my own head as I try to support women through their journeys in what really is going on and what these algorithms really mean. I mean, my sense as not having the technical background is that over time, the data gets better, but it's really about how much data you have in that spits out whatever recommendations. And not every woman is going to be able to look at the marketing to better understand if one algorithm is better than another. So can you maybe just educate us on that and make it a little bit more simple so that as women evaluate what's right for them, they're a bit more in the know with layman speak on algorithms? Talking about algorithm, I think there's a difference between measurement and the prediction. So algorithm has to has the uh, has to have a baseline or some uh, base data, initial data for it to learn, right? So how accurate is this measurement or the where the uh, you know the, the baseline data comes comes from? That's very important. And another aspect is the how good the algorithm is. So basically, you know, it's like how accurate your measurement is, which is setting the foundation for the algorithm to do its work. And the worst is the, uh, uh, the how well the algorithm is written. So it will, you know, how soon or how accurate it will learn your pattern. So those are two separate things. I think many apps right now claim themselves as the algorithm, uh, but the biggest gap is probably at where the data comes from. For example, if you are using a app, like a purely like an iPhone app or Android app, and as we talked earlier, it will only uh, record your period. Period is a black box. Remember, input, output, black box between. Okay, so it will learn based on input, output. It will not be very accurate. It might get, and it, because it has the machine learning algorithm, assuming it has a machine learning algorithm, it will get slightly more accurate over time for sure. But this is like you're building a, uh, a really big building based on sand, right? So your foundation is not really accurate enough. It's not really telling you enough information. And I would say several things happen on the basal body temperature. It probably will learn, you know, when your temperature gonna surge more accurately, but it will may not directly learn when ovulation will happen because we said that ovulation happens before temperature surge, not after. So that's the same thing. And the uh, so basically, you know, coming coming back to the topic, we really I think that we really need at this moment is some measurement that's accurate enough so you can algorithm can be built upon this data and it's better to be numeric data. Think about if you're using OPK today and there's an app saying, okay, I can learn the uh, based on your OPK. What is learning from? It's learning from positive, negative, positive, negative, this kind of pattern. How much information can I get out from there? Very minimal. And imagine now it's learning between zero and 100. And you see that precision, you see that's much higher resolution in, in this picture, right? So the learning will be much more effective. And uh, um, so for and to our consumers, 
I think the general advice is like you're correct. The more you, the longer you use the app, whatever app, it will get more accurate in terms in terms of predicting when the next cycle or next ovulation will be. However, they're not equal. Okay, so the one based on more accurate, higher resolution of data will go there much faster. Will eventually reach much more accurate results. And the way the the one based on very weak, only black and white color, this kind of fundamental data, it will get there much slower or even eventually not gonna get there. So all the companies are saying, okay, they're saying like, I have algorithm, I'm gonna get better. This is true, this is a correct statement, but you need to understand how accurate this eventually will get and how fast it can get to be more accurate. Thank you for clarifying how the data works. I mean, I, I just think it's important to illustrate that because everyone is saying the algorithm and I'm like, what is your algorithm? And I try to research it. I try to look deep into the information. And I'm like, I still, as a woman, if I were trying to pick from two companies that say they have an algorithm, um, you know, I wouldn't understand. So it sounds like from what I'm hearing you say that it's, it's really about the data you're putting in, what you get out and the tracking over time. And obviously some of the AI um, that is behind it. So some of those things we may not understand, but I think just knowing upfront that, the more information you share and the way things are being measured, like for example, peeing on a stick every day to report back what your hormones are is different than, you know, one OPK stick uh, results. So thank you for sharing that. I think that's really important to know. What my takeaways are from today is that, you know, there's a lot of great apps out there And thank goodness for them because it's now forcing women to start assessing their bodies because I know even when I was younger, um, it was just get pregnant and oh, by the way, you get a period. And I think that's all I learned in school and certainly not about all these hormones. I think creating that awareness is really important. And it sounds like all of these apps and devices play a role, but it really depends on what you're trying to do and the information you're trying to gather to achieve your goals. And I think you laid out really nicely some of those differences. So thank you very much for that. Now, I'd like to close with just kind of getting to know you a little bit better and what women should take away based on your experiences. So what would you say drives you most with what you're doing? From uh, my perspective, I think I really, you know, I really think there should be more accurate and uh, easy to use tools for women to understand what's going on with your body. Because the benefits of doing that is huge. I think we're now still really lack of awareness. Most people don't know what's happening in your cycle, except, okay, my period is regular, so I'm perfectly fine. And I don't know what's the best age for me to get pregnant. I don't know how too late is, how much, you know, what, at what time is already too late. And if I have a problem, I don't know how to treat it. I go to the doctor, the doctor said, everything's fine. You just go home and relax. So I, how can I relax? I, I'm just so anxious. I need to get pregnant. You know, so much doubts um, in this process right now. So I think how to solve that, right? So what's really passionate for me is that, you know, we need to find a solution for this. And even that's a smaller solution, but we need to gradually move towards that direction. So what I think is that we need to bring more clarity. Once you have data, you know what's going on. You will become less less anxious. That's true for everything in life. So, however, so why, why don't we really have data at the, you know, before? Why didn't we really have data before? 
two reasons. One is the technology is not there. You still have to go to do the blood drawing to understand your hormone level as hormone is the foundation of everything. And uh, number two, even I got a hormone level, I have no idea what this means. I would even not, you know, doctor not going to explain to me or they explain to me a language I don't understand. So make me even more worried. I just Google, I found I, my mind have all kinds of diseases. So <laughs> I would rather not look into that data. So two reasons, you know, based on that, what I really want to do is to bring a tool that needs to be so accurate and needs to be so easy to use. And that will bridge this gap. So once the tool is accurate enough and insightful enough, and specifically the data it provides can give action to women. So women can understand what's going on and they can take action and they can achieve their goal. And they don't have to doubt everywhere. They don't have to Google everything and find the irrelevant answers, things like that. And they will find, okay, this process is not as hard as I thought. So gradually it will guide them to be on the way that you know they will pay more attention to their to their body so i'm really passionate about this and that's also the reason behind why i created mira i you know i really want to bring the lab work more like a lab blood work type of thing into consumers home let them see their data i think it's 21st century right now we need to decentralize the data we need to you know we should owe our data owe our body owe what's going on well not the hospital system not the healthcare system and then be able to take action from there achieve the results got pregnant avoid pregnancy treating pcos and even more, more importantly, even find something that you never knew before. We had customers who found they have PCOS after have using Mira. They never knew that knew that before. They thought they were ovulating, but they were not. And also we have people who are, you know, found themselves are closer to perimenopause than they thought before. So they should, uh, you know, take action, medical action, either do fertility treatment or um, trying to conceive immediately because they still want to have a child. You know, those things are good to know earlier than later, but in order for that to practically happen, you need something that's very easy for women to use and be able to understand. We're still on this path right now. I'm not saying, you know, this whole industry is already there, but I think company like us, and I know there are many other companies trying to do this, with our little efforts every day, we will eventually make this happen. What a perfect way to conclude. Sylvia, it has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your wealth of wisdom and information. And I know that women who are really trying to understand how to navigate this space will have a bit more knowledge to help them get to achieving their goals as well. So thank you again. Thank you for tuning in to this discussion on the FemPower Health podcast. You can refer to the show notes for links to information that is referred to in this episode. And if you like this episode and found it timely and valuable, please take a moment to tell a friend or a colleague about FemPower Health. And right after this episode is over, please think of one person who might find this episode helpful and tell them about it. And if your friend is new to podcasting, please show them how to subscribe to our show. And another way to support FemPower Health Podcast is to leave a review where you listen to podcasts. And as a reminder, the information shared by FemPower Health is not medical advice, but for information purposes to enable you to have more effective conversations with your doctor. Always talk to your doctor before making health-related decisions. Additionally, the views expressed by the FemPower Health podcast guests
guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. See you next week. And that wraps up another empowering session here at the FemPower Health Podcast. Now, before you dash off, I've got a quick, exciting invitation for you. Please join our vibrant community by subscribing to our weekly newsletter, because it's really your frontline update on groundbreaking women's health research, the latest health-enhancing products, fun quizzes to boost your health IQ, and unique discoveries that you won't want to miss. All of this delivered straight to your inbox, cutting through the noise of social media algorithms. Love today's insights? Show your support by rating and reviewing our podcast. Your feedback is more than just a pat on our backs here at FemPower Health. It lights the way for others seeking guidance and community in their health journey, amplifying the voices that need to be heard. And for a deeper dive into today's topics, check out the show notes and explore our website at fempower-health.com. Our site is a treasure trove of knowledge, neatly categorized by topics of interest and life stages, ensuring you find exactly what you need to empower your health journey. And your voice matters to us deeply. Whether you have a question, a story to share, or feedback on our episodes, reach out directly at info at fempower-health.com, drop us a message on social media, or hit reply on any newsletter. Your insights inspire our conversations. And a quick note, the knowledge we share is here to embolden you in discussions with your healthcare provider. It's not medical advice. Always consult with your doctor for health decisions. And remember, the diverse perspectives of our guests reflect their individual journeys, and it's not an endorsement by FemPower Health. Here's to empowering your health journey one episode at a time, and I'll see you on the next FemPower Health podcast episode.